Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Detroit Lions Breakdown Podcast. I'm Joe Kenya. With me, as always, is Eric Schlitt from PrideofDetroit.com. Eric, the Lions find themselves in rarefied air after a 31-23 victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last Sunday. They've advanced to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1992. You know, everybody's well aware of all this, but, you know, we have to say it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lions will face the San Francisco 49ers at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. And there's tons of reason to be excited, and we're going to be digging into an NFC Championship game preview. Are you surprised at all? If you, you're not surprised now, but put right. yourself back in week zero. Are you yeah, surprised think, to know this I think information? We, I think we would have been, right? I think we were... I think most of us were expecting them to win the division. Most of us were expecting that would have resulted in a home playoff game. And I thought home playoff game, good chance to win. Now getting a second home playoff game and another victory, I think even the most optimistic probably weren't going that far. Right. So, you know, the whole, the old adage of playing with house money at this point. And, uh, but honestly, that that's that was week zero we were probably thinking that mm-hmm. now now i think it's different now you can see as the right. season has gone on they've had their ebbs and flows they've they've shown their their merit uh time and time again and while other teams have fallen off like the nfc east and uh hot teams have had a chance at at, at a run the Lions have uh, put an end to it, uh, put an end to two of those teams. And so they've earned it. They've earned this spot. And it's it's not going to be easy. The 49ers are one of the toughest teams in the league. and um, But they're not infallible. They have their pro- their weaknesses as well, right? And so right. it's uh, it's going to be fun. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm a, watching some of these uh, – national previews and stuff. I'm a little surprised there's more Lions fans out there than I thought on a national level. Well, they're, they're America's team right now to steal the nickname from the Cowboys. I, well, I they're the a team New that York everybody's Post. getting behind. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I saw yeah. the real America's team. They're <laughs> the team everybody's getting behind right now. Cause you know, the rest of the teams, San Francisco has been good for several years and, you know, going back, they, you know, wins five Super Bowls in the 80s and 90s, and they've always kind of hung around near the top of the league. They had a little ebb there in the early 2000s, and the Ravens have won two Super Bowls, and the Chiefs have recently won two Super Bowls. Like, these are the um, top franchises of the NFL, cream of the crop of the NFL. And then there's the Lions, this upstart, you know, this new to the party. And everybody kind of, not everybody, a lot of people will root for for the, the name brand teams. But here's this out of nowhere group that's uh mm-hmm. you know could take an america by storm and people kind of like that so i'm not surprised that there's a lot of uh, uh picking of the lions you know it's it's an interesting situation to be in and I, and one that even though they've been winning and we've been i think slowly acclimating ourselves to seeing them as a good franchise um it's still a little unusual to see that love reciprocated uh, on a national level. And I think there's a lot to like about, you know, the underdog is like you said, underdog is always going to be a popular team, but I think they're like 
there are, are several national analysts that are creating legitimate arguments on why the Lions should win. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, well, it's, it could be chaos after that. Pandemonium right? might break out <laughs> right all, all around us. It's it's funny. Like I wrote an article at the beginning of the week about Jonah Jackson and I, uh, cause Jonah, well, spoiler, isn't expected to play. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my headline, I essentially said Jonah Jackson, not expected to play in the NFC championship, but could return for the Super Bowl. And like, that's a crazy headline to, to have the lions and this guy could return for the Super Bowl type of like, and it'd be like a legit shot, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, and it didn't feel like when I wrote it, it felt, it was like, it was like, wow, I can't believe I'm writing this. And it's actually like potentially could come true. Something that's possibly could be true. But at the same time, you're like, I, again, I think they have the merit. They've, they've put the work in and they've established themselves as a good team. So it's, uh, it's, it's deserved. All right. So speaking of that team, let's dig into the transactions and then the injury report for, for the game coming up on Sunday, Brock Wright to IR. Um, no, no surprise there be, because of the, uh, the additions, the addition of Zacherts. Yeah, practice well, squad, which got some people going on. Oh my God, is Sam Laporta not going to play? In that? <laughs> he, 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 like he played the whole game on Sunday and everybody's worried about Sunday's game, but that it, it was due to Brock Wright's injury. Yeah. Brock Wright broke his forearm, um, like full on break. Like we knew in the locker room right after the fact that he was, he was done. Um, he knew he was done. He was, uh, dejected. I would assume. Well, he was, he was, he was, in good enough spirits to try and like talk to us. Um, but like, man, we, we, there were only a couple of us that went up to him and, uh, it was hard to know like what to say. Right. Like, cause remember he made that really big catch. That was really nice. Um, and, uh, you know, we wanted to, we tried to talk to him about that a little bit, but it was, it was hard not to have, you know, it pull at your heartstrings because he's he's put a lot of work in and and, uh, and now he doesn't get a chance to play in this upcoming game or well, or the potentially next upcoming two games, and uh, it, it's rough. That's a rough spot for him and and to have a a bone break like that. That's that's a, a very unfortunate. I don't know how long the recovery process is going to be for him, but he's uh he's re- I got a restricted contract coming up too, and so it's just a. Tough situation for him. I think the coaching staff loves him enough that they can they'll probably bring him back and work something out. But yeah, forearm break is uh is pretty rough. I <laughs> I joked with them that they should name the play, they should just name the play the Brock Ray play because that play where he does the little engages in the block, then releases, comes across the line and then catches it open. It's just that that's the same one they did against the Jets, essentially. He said the other routes were slightly different, but his was essentially the same. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, I, I told him I'd petition Dan Campbell to try and get that, that play just <laughs> relabeled for him. All right. Defensive tackle Tyson Alu Alu signed to the 53 and man roster. No surprise there. He was out of elevations if I'm not mistaken. Well, in, in the postseason, they get his unlimited. So oh, um, why it, did they sign him to the 53 man roster? basically because they needed to sign someone 
right? Um, they'd been elevating Alualu and Kabinda. And um, if you're going to play Ertz, you can't elevate all three. You can only elevate two. And with Brock Wright going to IR, because he's obviously is out, they were essentially going to sign Alualu or Kabinda. It was just a matter of which one they picked Alualu. Um, not sure exactly what the reasoning behind it is because they get paid the same amount, whether they're elevated or on the 53. The only thing it does is it changes when the contract expires. Cabinda becomes more of a street free agent seven days after the lions last game. Whereas now Alu Alu is under contract with the lions until March. So it's only uh, like an extra, you know, month and a half or two months of, uh, contractual like control but other than that it's exactly the same whether he's elevated or on the 53 at this stage of the uh, offseason or the postseason all right practice squad moves they've signed tight end zach Ertz. they brought back edge defender julian aquara uh signed offensive lineman matt farniak and running back jake funk uh so all of those moves were direct results of other moves that they made uh, with Wright going down, they needed another tight end, and that's where they brought in Ertz. Um, they released Raymond Johnson from the practice squad, who was an edge rusher, in order to make room for Julian to come back. Uh, Farniak is brought in. Remember, he was with the on a practice squad previously. He was mm -hmm. brought back because of familiarity with the offensive line. He is essentially just a body to help them get through the week of practices uh, because Jonah is uh, Jonah Jackson is unable to practice. So Farniak gives them another guy who can play on the inside at practice this week and, uh, and he'll get paid for it. And so, you know, cause he knows the system. Uh, Funk is brought in because Jermar Jefferson uh, got injured at practice and went on IR. So he's on the practice squad IR. And then Funk is a guy who was like a seventh round draft pick of the Rams when Brad Holmes was uh still with him. So it was a guy he's for, again, Holmes is familiar with as a practice squad guy chance. Maybe they're looking to give him like a futures deal type of thing. Uh, but again, another body for the week of practice. All right. You mentioned Jamar Jefferson. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All Injured. Right. And so IR. All right. So moving on to the injury report Wednesday was just a walkthrough. So all the, the Wednesday uh, participation is estimated, right. In, in your opinion, Correct. wide receiver, yep. Josh Reynolds, rib injury limited Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. Uh, so he got injured against the bucks. Uh, I don't know if you recall, he left in the second half briefly went to the locker room, ended up coming back and uh, playing out the game. But the Lions like to give uh, veterans who were injured in the previous game an early rest, you know, or, or I guess, you know, subdued rest uh, where they don't have to work as hard at the beginning of the week. And uh, so he's get, he got a couple of limiteds. Wouldn't be surprised if he got a full practice in on Friday, but either way, he's he should be all right. Wide receiver Khalif Freeman knee injury did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. As more concerning because he's not practiced for this is the third week uh, now. And even though they say he's been getting better, he still has been unable to get on the practice field. So if you can't practice, you're not going to play. So it's, it's starting to look bad news for Khalif again. Tight end Sam Laporta, knee injury, did not practice Wednesday, limited Thursday. 
Yeah, like this is management, right? This is essentially just giving him more time to rest and recover because he's been playing through the knee injury. He should be uh he should be good to go. Center Frank Ragnow, toe, back, knee, full body, did not practice Wednesday, vet rest on Thursday. Yeah, and an ankle injury too, which I forgot to put into our notes here. Um, so yeah, he's got four injuries now. Um this is just Frank Ragnow's injured everywhere, and so they're just going to let him sit uh, for these couple of days. He'll probably come back in full on Friday, and uh, he'll be good to go. Hey, look, he Big talked block. to him. He, no, go ahead. Big block on the fourth down touchdown run. Um, yeah, on, Ve. on Vita Vea, and and no worse for the wear. He was he was quite in quite amount of pain, but he he it did not matter. It was funny when he got injured the first time and, and they had to come get him. Like he, they tried to, they tried to get him to go over to the the trainer's table and he refused. He just went down and sat on the bench and then they tried to get his helmet and he wouldn't take it off. And he was just like, Nope, I'm not coming out. And then he gets injured a second time and they didn't even bother. Like they just were like, you know, they trying to look at his knee and or his ankle. I forget which one was came first, but um, the trainers, uh, one trainer essentially came over to look at him, but he would not get off the bench, would not give up his helmet. He was, uh, he is an Iron Man, and and uh, it's unbelievable what he he can play through. So, um, yeah, he he'll be fine. Look, he talked to the media and said he's he's no worse for wear, which is surprising considering he had two more injuries, but um, yeah, he should be good to go. It's interesting. And this, I guess really not, shouldn't bring it up in this show. This is probably a show for a few weeks from now. Is his career shortening as all this is going on? Yeah, I think it's, it's fair to wonder for sure. I, you know, I think he, he's still extraordinarily passionate about the game and he's still playing at a high level and he'll have time to rest um, coming up here soon in the next few weeks. But um, I think that's where his head is. His head is let's get through the next three weeks and uh, then I'll have some time. And they have a good system and they get, they dedicate a lot of, of, uh, of medical experts to him and making sure that they can help him team. recover. He, honestly, he has his own. <laughs> yes. Yes. So um, he's worth it though. Right. No, they, they, one of the most valuable centers in the league and he's busy playing. He's not shirtless in a, uh, <laughs> in a uh, luxury suite pounding Kelsey, beers at this time. If, if Kelsey retires, I'm not sure there's a really good argument for someone else being a better center than Frank. I know people will bring up a couple guys Creed Humphrey, like, right? Like Humphrey. And uh, I, I just, it'll all depend on who ends up in the super bowl. I guess. Right. Like if, well, if, you know, yeah, that'll, I think that'll help their uh, their standing, even though it's a team achievement, you know, not right. just the center's achievement, but it always helps. Yeah, I think Frank is just he's too good. He's just too good. Left guard, Jonah Jackson, knee injury. He's already been mentioned. Did not practice Wednesday, Thursday, had surgery, will miss the NFC championship game with a chance, outside chance of playing in Super Bowl 58. Yeah, he uh he had a minor meniscus incident that they needed to take care of and 
apparently the turnaround on it's pretty quick. So um, not quick enough to play this weekend, but quick enough to where he'll be back and ready to play uh, if, if they're, you know, two weeks from now. Edge rusher James Houston ankle injury, full practice Wednesday, Thursday. So they keep saying he's close, um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. he's just got to do something. He's He's got to show that he's there in practice. And so this could be the week or uh, he may have to wait another. Well, he may have to wait a little bit longer. He ain't going to play. I don't know. I just have one of those feelings that he's not mm-hmm. going to make it out there on Sunday. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough path to come in and play meaningful snaps in the yeah, NFC championship. Right. Yeah. From, you know, when you haven't played since week three linebacker, Alex Anzalone shoulder and rib injuries limited Wednesday, Thursday. We, he's got broken ribs. Yeah. And so they're going to give him yeah you know, the same, you know, thing as like Josh Reynolds and Sam Laporta. They're just going to let him take it easy. And then they'll, they'll crank it up a little bit when he gets, uh, you know, probably on Friday. And so he's ready to go on Sunday. All right. So that's that. Let's talk about the Bucks game. Once again, Lions come away 31, 23 winners, you know, the crowd, the true 12th man, forget about Seattle. Yeah. It was uh, explosive. Once again, more, another decimal level uh, record shattered. Yeah. Ford field now is what the third and fifth highest decibel mm. numbers in quote unquote NFL history. They, uh, it's crazy because this is the third time they've broke the record this season. Uh, and they set, they set the pre, they, the previous record was set last season. Uh, and so it's, this crowd has been really, you know, amping themselves up over the last two years, uh, as this team has gotten better, uh, broke it in week two of 2022 against Washington and then that held for one year until they broke it in week two against Seattle. And then last week and again this week up to one thing. And, and, and they broke it by a lot, too. It wasn't like it was just like it was a little bit like and then these last two weeks have just been really impressive. Like just, you know, they keep, you know, they, they, everyone keeps referencing the jet engine. Right. It was mm-hmm. it was it was loud. It was definitely loud. It's it was setting off a lot of Apple watches, telling people to get to a safe place. Now, okay, now did do you have any long lasting effects? Not long. I, I don't. I don't mean like right now, but like when you left the game, were you like, man, my ears nah, bother me, I, nah, or is it like nah, ah, I was fine? Not me. Um, I don't have any. I didn't have any of those issues. I've heard. I heard some people say like, you know, they heard a little ringing after the fact. Um, I, I, I normally don't, it's, I don't know. I, I don't normally have issues with that, with my hearing for whatever reason. Um, I tend to, you know, it's, my eyes are so bad. I think my ears, uh, are, are, you know, they compensate they for me. The other way. Right. <laughs> Your other um, senses have heightened. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you know, I heard that. I mean, I've heard other people say that I didn't, I didn't really have that issue though. All right, very evenly get played game throughout the first three quarters. Yeah. Uh, Buccaneers played pretty well, you know, and and it's not a surprise, you know, after the fact, you know, when going into the game, it's like, ah, oh, they were only nine and eight. They really struggled to win the division. They beat mm-hmm. a ship that was sinking in the in the Eagles, although, you know, they're the Buccaneers. They, you know, they 
the, the whole ship analogy, but, uh, <laughs> You know, they, they keep the game tied coming out of the third quarter. The Lions kind of assert their will in the fourth quarter. That right. and there also emerges like maybe Tampa Bay isn't the most well-coached team and maybe the Lions are a pretty <laughs> well-coached team. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Dan Campbell has been the better coach in each of the last two games. Um, Which is surprising to well, say. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, compared to the beginning of the Dan Campbell tenure, now sure. things have turned around and and the lions they're fortunate and i think i mentioned this after the rams game like they're never they have not yet been in a position in either game to where he's he's been allowed to make a questionable coaching decision Mm -hmm. you know i'm saying for some weird fake punt or going for it on fourth down you know in your own territory like he hasn't had to do that. He's had in both games uh, going for it on fourth down near the end zone, but yeah. I don't, that that's fine. That's not crazy. It's like, oh yeah, well you're close. You're either going to bury the other team if you don't make it, or you're and more likely you're going to score. Both times Lions have. Yeah, I think that's that's something we've seen consistent as well. The uh, I, if you're if you're at the four yard line. Uh, on third down, if you can get down to the two, he's going to go for it from the two. Like that's and any that's and just about any team should. Yeah, yeah. The odds are it's it's like um, you know I'm we might talk about this in a minute, but like when when Baker uh, took him down and scored with Mike Evans to get him within eight, how they went for two to try and because the the math says. If you score two and uh, down uh, eight, no, nah, that I I don't I don't buy any of it. Like I know Collinsworth tried to blather on about it that yeah. well you have a fifty five percent chance of making the two point conversion, right? But you only have a ninety eight percent chance of making two consecutive extra points, so it's in your favor. And if you don't get it the first time, you'll probably <laughs> get it the next time. It's like well, that's what that's yeah, that's the you're general. kind of right. But once you don't make it, the first fifty five percent chance. Now you only have a 55% chance of tying the right. game if you score mm-hmm. again. It's still right. a 98% chance of tying the game. Well, I think where it gets tricky is because you have over 50% chance of making at least one of the two-point conversions, um, even if you miss the first one, the chances are you'll make the second one statistically. But if you tie and you go into overtime – you aren't necessarily like it, it, it's a coin flip in overtime. So it's like, uh, do no, you... it's more heavily favored to the team that wins the coin toss. You right. Know like 57%. Right but, right. but I'm saying you don't know if you're going to win the coin toss is what I'm saying. No, so, you do not. so right. Like you could end up, if you don't win it in regulation, you could end up on the wrong side of, of that coin toss. Right. And then you're in trouble. See as where, uh, the the statistic here come or the statistical logic here is if you have a 58% chance of getting a two point conversion it's better than a 50-50 chance in overtime and even though you would likely hit both field goals like you actually have a better chance of winning the game by hitting the, by making the two point conversion so that's why people are starting to go for it now. It's 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 just a numbers game. That's is that really happening? Have you seen oh, yeah. this in other games? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen it before I, for sure. What? Why wouldn't Why wouldn't you do what the Lions did against the Cowboys? Wait until the very last chance. Like we'll, we'll just win it here. Well, that's the thing is, is if you go, 
earlier, uh, then you have you you understand what your variables are. I guess is what it is, right? But you put yourself if you don't make it, you put yourself mm-hmm. in a worse position the second no, time around. And I, I know, agree. I know, I know you're talking, but it's it's not that you have like a hundred and ten percent chance to make one of them. You have a fifty five percent chance to make it the first time, mm-hmm. but then you have a fifty five percent chance of making it the second time. Your odds don't get better once you don't right. make it the first time. No, I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. I I'm just I'm saying the math. If you follow the math, and and a lot of people do nowadays, especially in sports, if you follow the math, the math says you have a you if you you have a better chance of winning that way than winning in overtime, essentially. And so, yeah, I mean, look, they say do it early because it, they then you understand your options, you know you control the variables a little bit more as opposed to going for it late, like the lions did uh, against the Cowboys. So, but the lions knew what the variables were. Mm-hmm. If we but make they it, we win. Right. If we but don't, I'm, we lose. Like, right, but it's I'm, very simple. I think I, I get what you're saying, but it mm-hmm. seems to me that Tampa, it was more of a psychological thing than actually living by the analytics of it. Maybe, maybe. I think a lot of teams do though. I think a lot of teams, are really leaning more on analytics now. And I, and, and I think we saw that that's my, my interpretation of it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was just, maybe it was a, a gut feeling or a momentum, but to me, it seemed like a, uh, an analytical move based on st- the, the statistics that I think we're starting to see show up more and more. Jameer Gibbs, great in the game, 74 yards on the ground, touchdown and four catches, 40 yards in the air he's he's the guy now you know montgomery it seems is almost being used sparingly and then craig reynolds is just used as a home run hitter just to score touchdowns <laughs> on fourth well, down it was a look they the i think gibbs was able to be so impactful because montgomery was kind of the heavy hitter early and I think they just got worn down. Like you said, this was an even game through the first three quarters. And I think once you got into quarter four, it just became like a battle of attrition. And the Lions are the more complete team, the more physical team. And eventually they just wore them down to the point where they were feeling, they felt confident that they, you know, could score on them. And the Bucks they thought would make a mistake and the bucks look a little bit more tired and eventually, yeah, they, they, that they did make a mistake. It's uh it's interesting. Both NFC games basically ended on an interception as well uh, from a team having a chance to, to, you know, get a, a game tying score or game winning score. And then uh, interceptions by those quarterbacks end up uh, ending the game. It's, it's, basically came both games came down to who's going to make the mistake that, that, that ends it. And um, the lines and 49ers did not make those mistakes. And that's why they're moving on. Now I should say uh, Montgomery really hasn't become an afterthought. He touched the ball 13 times. Gibbs touched the ball 13 times. Gibbs mm-hmm. just has, has been more impactful when he's touched the ball. And it could be a, a function of, Montgomery doing the dirty work and yeah. being the physical back. And like you mentioned, kind of wearing down the defense. Yeah. I, I do think he's 
been getting earlier touches Mont and uh, Gibbs has been getting later touches because Gibbs's speed is just such a threat. Right. And so he can really just, when you're tired and he's not, that's a big problem for you. Do you believe that Craig Reynolds wasn't supposed to go get the ball when they, when he originally took the field? I think that is, I think that's kind of made up. Um, well, when Campbell was asked about it, Campbell said that in the formation that they called Craig was the back for that formation. And so there was nothing more complicated than that, but that's not what um, Amon Ross St. Brown was saying. Correct. You know, yeah. He, and he added I'm a, a little more detail to it. Right. And so he said he shouldn't have been in there. It should have been, here's the deal in that situation. Like, if Craig goes out there, like they're not, they're going to notice that, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like the, you see this all the time. I got players like start to run out on the into field. The game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You see players start to, to go out on the field and then they get called back by coaches. Right. Cause they have like multiple coaches watching who's going in and out. So I don't think he just happened into the game. I think maybe Amon Ra wasn't, a hundred percent clear on the play um, or what they, what they said, because they said they switched it. And so why he wasn't expecting Craig, I don't know. Um, maybe he was playing that up a little bit for a right. dramatic effect or, uh, or yeah. maybe it was legit, but to have Craig in there and instead of the other two was, um, I don't know if it, I, I, I don't know if I'm on was surprised. I don't know if the coaches were, you know what I mean? So, and I don't, you know, when I watched it live, I think, well, that that's a good idea because Tampa's going to think, Oh, they're going to throw it. You know, they're right. going to, they're going to move or, you know, like they're going to have golf move a little bit. They're going to throw it one side or the other. And it's like, well, no, we're going to give it to Craig Reynolds. Hey, I don't know. I, I do know that Reynolds is reliable. It's not like it was his first carry of the season. Right. You know, like they do use him every now and again. And, but so, and they did use them against Tampa Bay in the previous time they played. So yeah, to me, it wasn't a shocker. The, the, and it wasn't really a shocker what happened at the very end of the game. You know, like we, we had watched the day before, and you mentioned it already with San Francisco and Green Bay. Green Bay, I, I, had a, I thought, you know, Green Bay was going to come out, just fly right down the field and score and beat the 49ers and then put the yeah. Lions in a really weird curse situation in the <laughs> NFC Championship game. But Jordan Love threw but a farvey a terrible almost farvian oh, yeah. interception throwing across his body off the back foot across the field and tying the game that way and then baker mayfield you know comes back the next day and does the same thing not the exact same throw it was yeah. slight less it was less dumb but still dumb <laughs> throwing throwing an interception right into Derek Barnes's hands to quote unquote seal it only kind of seal it with what yeah. happens on the fine on the final final kneel downs, but well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second too. Yeah, um, with love, love was just a matter of trusting that he could make a throw that he couldn't. Um, I've watched that angle heroic. I, I've watched I've watched that play from like four different angles, four different camera angles, and I have no idea what he saw thinking that he could make a throw like th that throw. Um, it made no sense. That guy was already in double coverage. Um, he got a little, he got pressure in his face, which is what forced him to make the throw. 
but like he's athletic enough where he could have like if he would have stepped inside when the block was there, he had like 15 yards of open space. He could have like ran eight yards and slid. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, it was a, it, I do think it showed his immaturity and his, his yeah, he's youth. a youngster. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's not like that was the first bad throw he's had all season either. He's done that a few times. So, um, but with, with, uh, Baker, I thought the Lions schemed up a nice, uh, blitz package that I think Baker wasn't expecting. Um, what they they showed five on the line, and then at the snap, dropped. So Barnes was in an edge roll on the on the Lions left hand side. He was all the way down like in a Sam uh, spot, and then um, at the snap he dropped. And they blitzed on the other side, both Branch and Anzalone. And so they ended up bringing five guys. And they had a linebacker over well, uh, Jalen Reeves-Maben essentially at the mic because uh, Alex was at the will and he blitzed from that spot. And so Reeves-Maben was at the mic, which is the area that Barnes dropped into. And Reeves Maben had to sprint across the field to get to the coverage on that side that that um, branch was vacating. So I think when Baker saw uh, Reeves Maben sprinting towards the vacated zone because of the blitz, he assumed that he was going to have the slot on the other side, not realizing that Barnes had dropped as well. And so I think Baker was just he looked at the blitz, wanted to throw into the blitz, saw it was getting taken away by Reeves Maben, which is a huge credit to like Reeves doesn't get, isn't going to get credit for that. You know what I mean? But if he's not fast enough to get across the field, this, that play doesn't work at all. They just throw to that open man, throw right into blitz and then they get a seam there, but he gets across Barnes drops Baker doesn't see him. And then the game's over. And so it was a really well designed play uh, executed. Well, they get the blitz, you know, put enough pressure on Baker to make a quick decision. And you have to give a lot of credit to Reeves Maven for getting across because if he doesn't, Baker just throws that and, uh, and who knows what happens after that. Speaking of who knows what happened, lions kneel down uh, a couple of times, you know, like the, yeah. the final kneel down golf kneels early and the Buccaneers have the ability to use their last time out and force the Lions to do something on fourth down, you know, make a a crazy decision on fourth, not a crazy decision. Like, yeah, but it's decision time on fourth down. Then they sitting at home. They kneel down twice on the, both the last two, they kneel down with 15 or 16 seconds left on the clock, both kneel downs. So it wasn't just the final one. It was like, I was a bit surprised by that. So, I mean, I was because sitting at home, I forgot, like I, maybe it slipped my mind, but I thought to myself when that last one occurred was that, oh, NBC must be wrong. It really must be second down. You know, it's not third down or what it wasn't third down. (laughs) It was second down. Like there's no way that's why they're not calling timeout. And then Mm -hmm. realize, then fight, you know, going through it later. It's like, no, this is bizarre. Why is it Tampa calling the final timeout? Because we've seen plenty of games over our lives where, something crazy's happened on that last play. Like why would sure. it, and here's this analytics, you know, mind of the Buccaneers with all right. the crazy two point conversion calls. 
why aren't they calling this timeout and forcing the Lions to do something? No, hundred percent. Um, they should have. They they should have. They should have called the timeout probably after the the first kneel down, and then that would have forced the Lions to drain more clock than they did, which would have left them with like ten or twelve seconds. And then Lions would have kicked a field goal or at least attempted a field goal. But if the field goal gets blocked or you miss mm-hmm. it, and they got you know a shot. I mean? They're coming back yeah. the other way. Exactly. Um, but you could tell, and, and Dan Campbell didn't say this, but he almost suggested it that when they threw that pick, they were, they were done. beat. Dead they man were, walking. Yep. Yep. Um, because like even what Bull said after the game was why delay the inevitable? Like you could see guys, like because some crazy can happen. Uh, these guys, the it was it was <laughs> it was crazy. Um, like to see the 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 Bucks, like they were defeated. Like they they looked it, they 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 uh, were like saying goodbyes to each other, and then like you know like you know high five. They were not high five, but like you know giving each other like hugs and like it was like they looked broke. Like that play looked like it just broke them, and uh, Dan. I don't think they would have gotten any juice back if the Lions missed the field goal. Oh, you know? I think I think they would have. I think they yeah. would have too. I, I, I absolutely the Bucks messed that up. Um, but boy, uh, I think Dan just looked across and was like, "Yeah, they're done," and was like, "Let's just get out of here," you know. But it was definitely an unusual ending, especially for a playoff game where, right. uh, you know, every second matters in one of those things. But that's it. Doesn't matter now. Mike Evans giant game doesn't matter. Didn't didn't lead to a win. So, yeah, that's it. You want to bury this one? Let's move on to uh, the 49ers. Sure. All right. Santa Clara, California, Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon, their time. It'll be 3.30 out there, 6.30 over here, uh, Detroit area. Uh, Lions are not favored in this one. First time in a long time that the Lions are the underdog. San Francisco's favored by seven points. Game's going to be on Fox. Uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, Fox's number one crew, will be on the call with Aaron Andrews and Tom Rinaldi on the sidelines. One of Eric's favorites is going to be the referee for the game, Cleet Blakeman, 16th season, 14th season as a ref in the NFL, 14 postseason games, averaging 10.94 penalties per game, slightly under the NFL average of 11.36. Your thoughts? Uh, the That NFL average has been declining for the back half of the season. Like it was like close to 12 at one point, And now it's just Let them play. slowly dropping. Yeah. And I think they are. I think they're letting them play. Um, this is an all-star crew. So you're hoping that the all-star crew makes the correct decisions and, uh, hopefully can keep cleat from ruining anything. Uh, he has a bad habit of doing that legal hands to the face penalties. Yeah. Just throw them a couple of times. Um, he has a bad habit of overriding his other officials. Uh, which, which will be is, even easier with an all-star crew that he's not used to. Right. Like he, yeah. And he, this is, that's a common trait with him. Um, yeah. Contra, he's already, he's, he, every year there's something, a, a game that's like super controversial. Um, hopefully he's gotten his 
controversial game out of the way already uh, when the when Seattle played uh, Dallas and uh, I think it was October or December. I forget when it was. It might have been December, but hopefully he's got that out of his system. Hopefully he's uh, not going to do anything quirky, but yeah, he's not my favorite. Uh, he's like the opposite of my favorite. I think he <laughs> might be the guy I like the least. And so, uh, yeah, let's, let's hope the whistle stays in, uh, in cleat around cleats neck and not, uh, not in his mouth. Weather at Levi's stadium is going to be high fifties, low sixties at game time. I've or seen is it, it flux- up around 70. I've seen it. I've seen it fluctuating both ways. I've seen early. I've seen low low sixties. I've seen uh, low seventies. It's like I've I've seen a mix of things. So doesn't look like rain, which is uh, yeah, well, good for the Lions because even if the like fifties, sixties, seventies, I mean these guys are used to twenty degree weather being around here, and all of a sudden now they'll be out there as long as yeah. there's no rain. Weather's really not going to be a factor, and all of a sudden playing outside at the end of January is not as big of a deal as if people would have been worried about. Right. I, well, although Purdy does play not as well in the rain. You know, well, just, with his glove, and he's very <laughs> concerned about what's happening in the rain. All right. But DVO, no, I, oh. no I, I was just going to say I agree with you. I No rain is good for the Lions. DVOA statistics, Lions 7 overall. Fifth offensively, seventh throwing the ball, fourth running the ball. Defensively, number 13, 16th against the pass, number one against the run. Special teams sinking down to 19th overall. 49ers, second best team in DVOA. Offensively, their first, first passing the ball, second running the ball, fourth defensively, fourth against the pass, 15th against the rush. One of the worst special teams units in the league at 25th. 12 and 5, just like the Lions, winners of the NFC West, won all the tiebreakers to make sure they got the number one seed in the bye. We saw them beat Green Bay last Saturday, and I didn't play their best game, um, which also is good news for the Lions. Like they, they're not like an impenetrable team. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the thing with the, that we have to take into consideration here with the DVOA is that DVOA is essentially measuring efficiency, right? And it's one of the reasons why we like it. But just because San Fran has one of the most, has the most efficient um, passing offense, it's not something that they actually lean on as much as some of the other teams. They're actually, they lead there. They only go to the pass uh, around 52% of the time, which is um, 30th in the NFL. So like, even though they're, they're good at it and they're efficient, they don't use it. Uh, they're on, they're in the bottom three as far as like using it. Now it's still obviously part of their game, but I think it's one of those things where they're efficient because of the uh, because they're limited. Like if you look at like just throws, like I think they're like dropback situations. It's something like they have like. 500 and like the lions have like 700 like or you know and it's it's way more than that but it's there's a big there's a big significant gap between you know how much they actually throw and versus how much you know like most teams throw like for example the lions um they only pass about uh 
56% of the time, about 56 and a half percent of the time. And that's 21st in the NFL. So they don't, even the lions lean on their run game quite a bit, but San Fran really, really likes their run game. And that's a huge part of what they do. And so when Dan Campbell comes out this week and says their priority is to stop the run, uh, believe them because that's what San Fran wants to do. And so when you look at where are the lions best in efficiency, well, they're the top team in stopping the run. Right. And so that's going to be a huge uh, part of the game that the lions are going to want to control. They're going to want to control the trenches. And so San Fran and from an efficiency standpoint, it's going to be a very good run defense uh, in the lions up against a good rushing offense in San Fran, but then a really good rushing offense with Detroit against a suspect rushing defense for San Fran. And that is a huge advantage for the lions and arguably maybe their biggest um, that they'll have going into this game. All right, let's do a uh, rundown of the San Francisco roster. First, we'll start with Kyle Shanahan's offense. Already mentioned Brock Purdy in the rain with his gloved hand. Uh, He's the starting quarterback. He's a pro bowler. He's in his second year. Everybody knows the story. Last pick in the draft last year. Uh, Last, he lost on Christmas to the Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. hasn't lost a game since the end of October. So if, as us Lions fans remember, like end of October, we played, we beat the Raiders on Monday night football and that mm-hmm. Brock Purdy in that time's only lost one football game in that time. Yeah. He also didn't play in he week 18 yep. and then he, al- they also had a bye. So there was a couple weeks there that he didn't play. He didn't lose that week though. <laughs> right. So, uh, but I mean, like he didn't even have the opportunity to, right. So he's had a couple less, uh, our, um, chances, I guess at losing, uh, they did have that stretch in October. That was pretty rough. Um, they dropped games to, uh, let's see the Browns, the Vikings and the Bengals and back to back to back, uh, the big, one of the big catalysts in that game was the fact that. Uh, they were banged up. They had some injured injuries on offense that they were dealing with, most notably to Debo Samuel. Um, in those games when when Debo was unavailable, Brock Purdy's uh, numbers went down pretty much across the board. His passer rating, completion percentage, it all just kind of fell off. And so, you know, that's where he threw a lot of interceptions during that time as well. So, when Debo is, games. yeah, when, when, uh, and I was, and he only had 11 on the year, right? So, um, then four so, against the Ravens. <laughs> is that what it was? Was the other yeah. four against the Ravens? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and then he had two, two other stragglers in the rest of the year. But yeah. So the, uh, the Dan, if, if you get to him, if you start forcing him to turn the ball over, your chances to win go through the roof. Right. Um, and it's interesting, like when you look at like the pressure ratings and we'll, we'll get into like pressure here in a bit, but when you look at like what he looks like when he's pressured versus not pressured, um, he has another, it's again, kind of a statistical, um, significance. Like when, when he, when Purdy is kept clean, 
He tends to, he completes around 76% of his passes, 21 touchdowns compared to five interceptions. When he's pressured, his uh, completion percentage drops over 20 percentage points. He drops down to 54.7. He has 11 touchdowns and six interceptions. So his touchdown rate drops in half. His completion rate drops by 20% and his interceptions rate goes up a tick. So getting pressure is, is actually a really big component, which is why when the lions are on defense, that's going to be their priority there, right? They're going to want to run the ball on offense. They're going to want to stop the run and then get pressure. So when we get to the offensive line, we'll talk about how they might be able to do that. All right. In the backfield for San Francisco, they got a pair of pro bowlers slash all pros. Christian McCaffrey, well-known as the, uh, the running back, 1,459 yards, 14 touchdowns on the ground, also adding 564 yards receiving and another seven touchdowns. Fullbacks Kyle Juszczyk, um, who doesn't get the ball a lot, but he's he's a very visible fullback and one of the few teams that still like employs a full-time fullback. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, Jordan Mason, those are the reserve running backs. So McCaffrey plays... Uh, almost every snap. That's just, that's how he, that's how he rolls. He's in every snap multi-purpose athlete that never leaves the field. Uh, use check actually plays at a higher rate than most fullbacks. Uh, last week against the, the, um, Packers, he played like 40% of their snaps on offense. So that means they're coming out in like 21 personnel, like 40% of the time. And that's, that's significantly higher than what you're going to see on, on most teams. So, um, Juszczyk gets his, he gets, he gets a lot of, uh, he gets a lot of time. Um, like I said, though, McCaffrey is, you know, he's the all world guy. Um, he's tough to tackle. It's going to be a big key for the lions. I think McCaffrey leads the league in, um, yards after contact. I think he has like 500, almost 600, like 575 or something like that after contact. And so um, finding a way to stop him is going to be the Lions' top priority, right? They run um, like an outside zone scheme most of the time. That's something that um, Kyle Shanahan learned from his dad. Uh, It helps with their disguises, like essentially what they want. So, okay, Shanahan runs a West Coast offense with an outside zone scheme the lions have basically seen this offense uh in last week they saw a west coast version and in, in again of for tampa the week before they saw Sean McVay's west coast and who did Sean McVay learn from he learned from uh, Mike Shanahan just like Kyle Shanahan uh the week before that they played the vikings the vikings um O'Connell learned from Sean McVay who learned from Mike Shanahan and then they played Dallas and then before Dallas, they played the Vikings again. So like for the last six weeks, they've seen this offense, right? They've seen this West mm-hmm. coast offense with an outside zone that that's come from Mike Shanahan. So they're going to be familiar with it. The trick is just the personnel groupings. That's what makes Shanahan. I mean, in the talent levels as well, of course, but like it's, it's how, Kyle Shanahan uses his personnel groupings 
in order to give you a different wrinkle. And that's where the Lions are going to have to adjust because McCaffrey is a better back than they've faced in the last six weeks. And um, they utilize the fullback more than the, than the Lions have seen in the, in the last six weeks. And it's it's the outside zone that they run. They It's purposeful. Like they run it to create misdirection and get your eyes looking one way. And then they like to go back against the grain um, either with cutbacks in the run or they'll play action you and then do, throw uh, to the other side with Brock Purdy. And so there it's, it's personnel, it's misdirection and, and Kyle Shanahan does it at a higher level than the other, you know, the previous ones we've seen as well. Wide receivers, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are your starters. Uh, Samuel is questionable. And we all saw him get hurt in the Green Bay game, or or you know, shuttling out of the game. Juwan Jennings had a nice game, and uh, replacing him, they also have Ray Ray McLeod, Chris Conley, and Ronnie Bell. Uh, so Debo is really their their best player after McCaffrey, as far as making the offense adaptable. Right, McCaffrey allows them to do a lot of things, and Debo adds to that, allowing them to be even more creative. When you lose Debo, you lose some of that creativity. Yes, you can still do a lot of things with McCaffrey, but Debo takes away a big portion of the playbook when he's not around. When he wasn't around, he had he hurt his shoulder. He wasn't around for all three of those losses in uh, in October. And then he re it's the same shoulder that he hurt last week. So he's, again, maybe he'll play if he does he'll be i mean most people assume he'll find a way to get on the field right but then how much will he be limited i don't know if he'll be the debo that um we've seen most of the year and so how healthy debo is could be a big factor because if their playbook is more scaled down it limits you know it limits uh, some of their impactfulness and if Debo's not as available or maybe not as reliable, that's going to impact Purdy's confidence as we've seen multiple times this year. So seeing how, you know, ready to go Debo is, is going to be a huge factor. Now, Ayuk is one of the, the top wide receivers uh, production wise in the league. And even though he's not like their first option, right? Like, they'll go to like three other guys before they go to Ayuk. Yet Ayuk still has an incredibly productive season. 1300 um, yards receiving. Uh, and, and that's because that speaks to the effectiveness of this offense and why their passing game is so efficient. It's because when they sling it around, uh, they get a lot of yardage. They're not scared to throw deep, but most of the time it's throw and, and let the receivers get some yak. They have really good blocking receivers and so it's a lot of times it'll just be like, get the ball in their hands and let them produce. And Ayuk has, has done that. He's had a really nice season and he's a guy who I think could give the Lions some problems, especially when most of the attention is, you know, focused on Debo McCaffrey. And then we'll get to the George Kittle in a minute here. Um, Jennings, I think I, I thought he played well against the Packers. Um, be interesting to see how how much he has to play 
McLeod and Connolly will get some runs as well. Uh, I don't think we saw Ronnie Bell against the Packers, or at least I don't recall seeing Ronnie Bell against the Packers. So, um, yeah, Ayuk, Ayuk won't leave the field if if Debo can't go as much. I think Jennings and and the other backups will kind of you know they'll have to play more, and if that happens, uh, could be an advantage. The tight end, George Kittle, with reserves, Charlie Warner and Braden Willis. Uh, so Kittle's, again, is one of the top four tight ends in the league. Maybe you could argue top two. He is a complete uh, tight end in, in a lot of facets because he is a tenacious blocker, but he can also catch, and he's a guy that you have to account for. And if they didn't have Debo and they didn't have McCaffrey, he would still be a pretty dominating uh, option at tight end. And so you add Kittle into this group and you, you can see why their offense has been so explosive because McCaffrey gets it done. Ayuk has been productive. Debo has been productive. And then Kittle is like I said, one of the best. So yeah, four really above average options for Brock Purdy to throw to. And um, it's one of the reasons why they're so explosive and, and why they're so efficient in, in their offense. 49ers offensive line left to right. One of the best in the business, Trent Williams at left tackle, then Aaron Banks, Jake Brendel, Spencer Burford, and Colton McKivitz. So Williams, yes, is is elite. He's getting up in age, but he's still 35. He's still elite at at, at his age. Um he's a guy who is probably what Panesul will develop into. Right. Like he's, you're going to, he's when Panay's 35, he's still going to be dominating. Uh, and, and I think Trent Williams is basically like the closest comp you can have for what Panay is. Um, he's terrific. You're going to have problems with him outside of him. I think everybody else is a little bit more vulnerable. I think the guards are not as, uh, not as good as you would expect. Um, Aaron Banks is 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 had a bit of a down year, in my opinion. Um, Feliciano and Buford have had uh, or Burford have had they've been splitting right guard duties. Um, I think Feliciano's a little bit better. Brendel had a really tough start to the year. He's played better as it's gone on, and and McKivitz, in my opinion, is is a potential like vulnerability and I don't think he matches up well against Aiden. Um he's given up uh I think nine sacks on the year and I believe his pressures are like 57 or something like that. I I have it written down but not in front of me. Um so those those uh those pressures are key, right? Because we talked about like how Purdy's numbers drop significantly when you can get pressure on the quarterback and pressure is something the Lions have been able to generate a lot of the season. And yes, most of it comes from Aiden Hutchinson, but this is a prime matchup for Aiden to, uh, you know, to have an impact. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Uh, And if you kick him inside, you're kicking him over a right guard tandem that's been rotating. And so, Aiden is going to be another huge key here. If, if, if the lions are going to disrupt Purdy 
and they're going to force him into bad decisions or, or, or mistakes, it's going to probably be because of Aiden Hutchinson. And the opportunity is there because, uh, like I said, McKivitz is not, he's average at best in my opinion. Uh, and, and that, that is a huge opportunity for Aiden to, uh, to show his value and to show his worth. And I think Aiden right now leads the league with his pressures because he's still playing. And some of the other guys that were pressure getters are not, but I think he has 118 on the year. If you include the playoffs, which is like remarkable and he's not really slowing down. I feel like he's been getting better and he's been continuing to produce and the right side of that line is going to have a problem trying to handle him because he is, he's better. He's better than all of them. And so this is a huge factor. The Lions are going to have to keep Aiden free, try and get him in one-on-ones as much as they can. And, and he's going to have to, he's going to have to come through. One thing to note, X line alert. Anthony Lynn is the running backs coach and assistant head coach for the 49ers, famously the offensive coordinator for the first iteration of Dan Campbell's Detroit Lions, who had play calling duties stripped from him uh, about two thirds of the way through the season. I don't know how much of a, I guess it's more of a, even though he's an offensive coach, this is more, uh, more for the defense. Does he bring anything special to the table? I'm guessing probably not. No, because I think it's a real different team than it was before then. Right, that three-and-thirteen uh, team. Yeah, and the offense that he incorporated is significantly different than the one that Ben runs as well. So I'm not sure he can offer a whole bunch more than, um, than you know, what they're going to see on tape. Uh, you know, not even – I mean, even – even their offensive coaching staff has changed a little bit since, since uh, Lynn's departure. So yeah, I think it's totally different. I don't think he offers them any insider information. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball is run by Steve Wilkes, former head coach of the, uh, the Panthers there for a year or a chunk of the year. Well, whatever. Yeah. He was their interim uh, coach for yeah, a interim long head time. Coach. Yep. Four, three defense, the uh, edge defenders and defensive tackles, crosses chase young which you know there was plenty of talk mid-season about the that many people thought the lions needed to trade from eric armstead javon hargrave and nick bosa coming off the bench you got javon kinlaw sebastian joseph day randy gregory robert beal kevin gibbons so bosa is one of the elite pass rushers in the game premier right? pass rusher yep yeah defensive player of the year not too long ago um, 10 and Arm- a half stacks on the season. Armstead's terrific. Hargrave is terrific. Uh, Chase Young is uh, not as good as he used to be. And I think he's the weak spot of those four. If you're going to try and identify where to, uh, you know, a, a place to attack. Realistically, though, you can run at Bosa as well. And these, the edges are a big reason why. I think teams have been successful in running on the 49ers is that they have either. All right. Well, let me pause for a second. The 49ers front is very talented and very aggressive. And 
because they're talented and aggressive, Wilkes does not blitz much. I think they blitz the third fewest of all teams in the NFL. Less than like it's like 18% or something like that. And um they don't blitz because they trust that their front four is going to get home. And they do. A lot of the time they do. 48 sacks on the season. Um, but because they're so aggressive and because they're constantly looking to shoot gaps and get upfield, that leaves them vulnerable to hold their gaps if you run a gap scheme. And because they're trying to get upfield, it allows them to be weak on the edges as well if you attack the edges with an outside zone. So both the schemes that the Lions run are effective against the 49ers front as long as you can use their momentum against them or as long as you have a good enough offensive line that can that can you know you know be physical with them. And that's what the Lions' bread and butter is. So again, this is a spot where they're going to look to get pressure every time. And they will shoot off the ball. And the Lions can attack. If they attack with the run game and they use their offensive line to try and, you know, get physical, there's a chance to 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 be successful. If you look at the Packers, the Packers ran for what was it, like 130 or something like that. And uh Aaron Jones had 118 and six yards of carry was his was his average. Yeah, they ran for 136 and Aaron Jones had 108, six yards. 108. Of carry, but you're correct. Okay. Um, so and he was he was getting big chunks. He was getting big yep. chunks of yards for them a lot of the time. And the only time that they started stopping it is when they kind of crashed with their linebackers. And so the advantage of if they start crashing with their linebackers is that that opens up the middle of the field, which is exactly what the lions want. So I fully expect the lions to be run heavy right off the bat. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try and incorporate both uh, gap and zone blocking schemes and just try and out physical them right off the bat, because if they get push, and they start getting chunks of yards, the 49ers will creep up. And when they creep up, that's when you run JMO, have JMO run the safeties off, and that's going to open up the middle of the field for Amon Ra and uh, Sam Laporta. It's not an overly complicated game plan. And I'm sure the 49ers are looking at this, and they know that the Lions are going to exactly do this as well. But it's one that can work, right? It's absolutely one that can work. The 49ers are 15th in DVOA against the run, but if you look at their um, at their like yards above expectations and like in uh, just their success rates, they're in the mid 20s against the run. Like and and so they drop significantly in some of the other advanced metrics. And this is really where the Lions can do it. There's um, if you're if you get your if you get your linebacker I'm sorry if you get your tight ends and your wide receivers involved and just get physical right off the bat you start controlling this game and if you can stop the run on the other side of the ball look out because this run game is going to be huge and 
you don't want the you don't want Bosa, Armstead, Hargrave, and Young just teeing off on you while you're trying to throw. You you're gonna want to get that run game uh, going very early. The linebackers for San Francisco: Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. Warner's a Pro Bowler, all Pro. If they run three linebackers, they'll include Owen Burks coming off the Oren Burks coming off the bench. D winners: Demetrius Flanagan, Foles, and Jalen Graham. Yeah, it's mainly just the top three right um greenlaw and warner don't leave the field like you said burks is their third um they use their linebackers in a their third linebacker differently than the lions do when the lions use a, a third linebacker that's usually as an edge guy when the 49ers use a third linebacker it's usually as like a coverage guy they pick up backs pick up tight ends even cover over the slot um and that's mostly on burks they will shift it around because Greenlaw and Warner are super fast as well. And um, they'll have a good, they have a good group of linebackers that can, you know, clog up the middle, really clog up that, that intermediate section of the field. That's why you got to have success with the run. If you get success with the run, you start pulling them down a little bit. Um, that's how you get your passing game going. You, uh, you've got to get them closer to the line than they want to be because they want to be off and you, and you got to make them pay when they're off and, uh, because they're talented. Like in my opinion, Fred Warren is the best linebacker in the league. Like, I think he's like, he's the most talented guy. And so it's, a it's a tall task to try and start manipulating these linebackers, but that's why the run game is going to be so important. The corners are Charvarius Ward and Diomodor Lenore. Coming off the bench, Isaiah Oliver, Ambry Thomas, Samuel Womack III, Daryl Luter Jr. So Ward and uh, Lenore are your starters on the outside, but when they bring on like Thomas or Oliver, they typically shift Lenore to nickel and then keep the uh, Thomas like on the outside. Uh, you saw Thomas against Green Bay get two really big pass interference penalties, and um, I hope the Lions were paying attention to that. In those third and long situations, I see no reason to not take deep shots against the 49ers because they're physical and they will run into you. Uh, because they try and play in your hip pocket. So if you, um, if you're like in third and 15, third and very long, uh, and you run a go route and then throw it a little bit short and then allow that you allow Thomas to run into you like the Packers did, you pick up some chunks that way. And it's not, you know, it's, it's more gaming the system than anything, but the 49ers are, one of the worst penalized teams in the league. They're in the bottom 10 and as far as penalties against them. And when it comes to penalty yards, they're the worst team in the NFL in giving up penalty yards. That's because they are physical and they'll take penalties that give up big yardage, like your uh, pass interferences and stuff like that. So I would like to see them test this secondary deep a little bit more and maybe you come out of it with some, some penalties that give you some free yardage here and there. 
The safeties are Jair Brown and Tashawn Gibson Sr. The reserves are Logan Ryan and George Odom. Uh, Talanoa Hafanga is on IR, so he's a, it's the Lions will not have to face him. Um, Logan Ryan will play over Brown uh, on occasion. He did against the Packers if they like that situation better. Uh, Jair Brown is a, a third-round rookie. And so sometimes they will lean on on uh, Logan Ryan's uh, veteran experience to bring him, uh, you know, to bring that more veteran savvy mix to the uh, to the game. In my opinion, I think Brown is a better uh, safety than than Ryan is. I understand Ryan has a lot more experience, uh, but I think the talent level for Brown is is higher. And if they end up playing Logan Ryan. Could be an advantage for uh, for the Lions. Gibson is uh Gibson's really good though. You gotta, I mean, their safeties, their whole secondary is uh is good. All right, going to the special teams. The place kickers Jake Moody, who's the uh, all time leading scorer, kicker, whatever you name it, at the University of Michigan. He had a decent rookie year. He didn't start off so strong, but he's twenty one to twenty five, kicking field goals, kicked the fifty two yarder in the rain. Uh, last Saturday, although he missed his other field goal attempt. Yeah, he had a blocked. Um, it just kicked the ball a little bit low. Uh, they didn't oh, even get right. like, yep. yeah, that. they didn't even get a lot of pressure. They just jumped up and they just caught it. Um, Moody also kicked a uh, a kickoff a little bit short, and that allowed a big return uh, as well. So he did have a couple of errors in that game. Um, and he, like you said, he had a couple errors early in the season. Uh, it's not just on him, but he is, he, he's part of the reason why they, their efficiency numbers on special teams are lower uh, than, than the lions. And uh, it's like I said, especially recently he had those couple there, but um, I think the special teams overall is just, they're not quite as good as you would expect them to be. Punters Mitch Wisnowski, he's only had one punt blocked in his career, but fairly pedestrian numbers. Yeah, he's, he's okay. The punt and kick returners are Ray Ray, Ray, Ray McLeod the third. He does both. I shouldn't have threw that S on there, but yeah, Ray <laughs> Ray McLeod's the return man. I I'm not overly impressed with his production, and again, I think he's he's just been average to below average. It's worth noting that they opened, I, th- I believe they opened last week's game with Debo. As yeah, well, that's returner. if, if he play, like it would be interesting if uh, they start throwing him back, they're returning kicks and punts, you know, this last yeah. game, well, not last game of the year, but that's such an important game. They might want to use them at the same time. I don't know if they want to risk, uh, him getting hurt too. So who knows? Um, but yeah, McCl- if McLeod's back there, he's not overly dangerous. Long snappers, Tabor Pepper. I can speak on him because he's Spartan, Michigan State nice. Spartan, one of the several Peppers that have uh, long snapped for Michigan State, although they're not all related, which is kind of odd. Um, he's very good, but you know, that pretty much can be said about all the long snappers, in the NFL, but he's a good long snapper. Um, that's it for the 49ers. Uh, it's time to make your picks. I think you got the win last week. I did. Um, and so I'm up three. 
And uh, nothing I can do now with with two games. Yes, it is officially over. Uh, if we had decided to keep it going, uh, for me, magic numbers 24. Uh, 24 points is a key number. Mm. Uh, the, the 49ers scored 24 points to get the win over the Packers. The Lions have only given up 23 points to the Rams and 23 points to the Buccaneers. Um, 24 has always been kind of a key number this year, and it, it, it feels uh, significant to me. I, I, I think, like, look, the Lions only on average give up 23.2 points a game. So, again, 24 is key. I think this game could turn into a shootout, but at the same time, I feel like it's a physical game that they're going to, that both teams are going to want to run the ball. And so the clock's going to run and possessions could be uh, limited. And if that's the case, I think 24 is the number to know. Uh, And because of that, that's going to lead right into my prediction that I believe the lions have a chance and will win this game. 24 to 23 and accept the birth into super bowl 58 yep i'm picking them i've picked them all year except for the kc game so i'm not changing it now uh this is a very (laughs) good 49ers team and uh they are they got talent galore but at the same time the spots that they're weak are in are in some of the strongest parts of the lions uh, game. And so if the lions can be at their best in the run game, it might not even be as close as I just predicted. Like that run game and how you control it is going to be a huge factor. Well, I'll, I'll go the reverse. Um, I'll go San Francisco 24 lions, 23. I hope I'm wrong. Like I'm not going to go into some deep, uh, meaningful (laughs) explanation why I think the 49ers are going to win other than, they're the more experienced playoff team. You know, this team's sure. been in the Super Bowl a few years ago. They get to play at home. Um, they they are dotted with stars. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the Lions are starting to build a team of destiny type of thing. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they go in there and win it. I'm just picking the other side because even though I'm going to lose to you this season, I want to tighten it up a little bit, get one game closer <laughs> to you. Uh which I may not do because the Lions might win and you might just keep pushing, putting uh, more space between you and I and the overall rankings, um, <laughs> you know, which is fine. So like, yeah, it doesn't, this is the toughest one to pick. All these games, these last three games, all, all the playoff games are a coin flip, you know, sure. the, for, the, the 49ers can beat the Lions. There's no question about it. You know, like that's why they play the game. So I, it's right. really exciting to see. It's uh, it's bizarre that the Lions will be playing in the penultimate game of the NFL season. The second from last game in the NFL season, the Lions are going to participate in. You know, how weird is that? It's crazy. It really is. Like, And again, I... <sighs> They'll be one of the last three teams standing. And that's by, you know, just the, the luck of the draw. <laughs> right. <laughs> But, but um, the last three, three teams out there, they will. Uh, we'll get into it more, you know, as they go, as we progress. But when their season is finally over and we get into the off season talk, 
they're in a good spot. They're in a really good spot. Oh, great spot. That's the, yeah. that'll that's gonna make the uh our off season talk. Hopefully it's three weeks from now, four weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, more more interesting because there's the team the team can still go up from here, you know, and but nothing's guaranteed. You know, there's been a lot of hot teams in the past who've come close to, you know, touching the sun, you know, to, to reaching that ultimate goal just to like kind of burn out. These Lions really don't have a feeling that way, especially with, you know, executive of the year, Brad Holmes running the show. It uh, they, they seem to know what they're doing and anything's possible. Anything weird can happen that, that can halt it. But, uh, you know, they're, they're in a great trajectory right now. They have cap space coming up next year. They're extremely young. Yeah. You know, like everything's in their favor, you know, regardless of what happens on Sunday, but you know, how great would it be if they they push themselves over the top of the Super Bowl? We got the neighbors here. They have their Honolulu blue lights in their uh, their in their uh, front and back porches, and <laughs> nice. There's lions flags everywhere. You know, like everybody's excited about that. Everybody's talking about it. You know, it's 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 a great thing, and you know, hope it doesn't end on Sunday. My uh, <laughs> my uh, children's principal at their school said to me at the beginning of the season, I got a good feeling things are coming your way. I think, yeah, uh, I think you got, you got a good, good vibe about you right now this year. He's like, I bet this vibe around you, that's going to help the team. I bet the Lions go to the Super Bowl this year. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, whatever. And uh, who knows? Oh, here they are on the door. Maybe he knew something I didn't. So, yep. uh, I saw him. Uh, I saw him. Yeah, uh, a couple of days ago, and he he was like, "You must be exhausted." And I'm like, "I am." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "But I told you that." And I was like, "You absolutely did." So, good credit to him. Key for the Lions is just to keep it close early. You know, like yeah. when the Lions get in trouble yeah. throughout the season, it's because they've let the other team get uh, jump to a, a couple score lead early and kind of puts the Lions behind the eight ball. They can't rely on the run game as much. And like you said, San Francisco will be able to tee off with their defensive line more. So, you know, that's the big key to the game. Uh, reviews, ratings, Apple Podcasts. We got a couple of new ones from. Lawal and from Bro Gagag, both are five stars. Both are fantastic. We got a yeah, very nice. steady on Spotify. Thank you guys for the reviews or your folks for the reviews. Um, you send them in if if you'd like to. We appreciate it, and if you don't, yeah, just appreciate you listening. Yeah, they're very kind. They're very kind this week, so I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to get to see those. It makes me uh, makes me feel very uh, makes feel warm inside. Yeah, no, warm and fuzzy. Absolutely. Right. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has left his post as head coach of the University of Michigan yep. to sign up with the, the ugh, almost said San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> Just what do you think? You know, we've had our Michigan corner. We don't have to go on about it. <laughs> are you, are you I, happy he's gone? You're probably part. Everybody I've talked to that's a Michigan fan is partially happy he's gone. Yeah, you know, it's, it's I Which think. Which is weird. I know it is. They won the I, title. I, I think uh I think there's there's some people that were or some you know contingent here that are just will be happy to see the drama go away. Uh right. at the same time, you know, he was a good recruiter, he was uh a good coach and uh weirdo. Yeah, well you put yeah cheater. 
Certainly. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they, uh, how they make the next couple of moves, how they replace, cause he's going to take coaches with them. Right. So right. how they replace his new mentor is going to be his defensive coordinator in Los Angeles. And that's the everybody's rumor, right. I don't, and it's not everybody is just elevating show, uh, a short. Yeah. Sharon Sharon Moore. Moore yeah. To be the head coach. And I'm, yeah, I'm reading like, Oh, they, they, they'll, they're going to talk to PJ Fleck. They're going to talk to Brian Kelly. I'm like, really? <laughs> Why would yeah. they just go after more? I'm but sure. he has no experience running a program except for the fact that he had to do it for four weeks this year. Right. I, <laughs> I, I, I do think he'll get the job. Um, and I think he'll be good at it, but I also agree with you. There's probably going to be a learning curve there. Um, Harbaugh is one of those guys that when he's your coach, it's exhausting because of all the, the drama, everything else. Yeah. And so, and, but it's also um, when he's gone, I think people will also realize a little after the fact that maybe they didn't realize how, how impactful he was in a positive way. And so, well, yeah, he right? totally turned things around. Cause he slogged around for the first four years. Sure. You know, I mean, they had good teams, but you know, they more on the average of going eight and four every year. Yeah. Then finally got things in gear and he's gone 40 and three over the last three years. It, like it, they're, that, they're desperately going to miss that. Yeah. And, and more won't be, you know, hopefully if more gets the job from your perspective that, there's not so much pressure. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him from the get-go, but there's hopefully a little understanding where he doesn't win the national championship his first year. Right. It's a different situation than what Lloyd Carr took sure. over, right? Because the guy yeah. he replaced, Moeller, was removed in disgrace. Although, in Gary Moeller's defense, if he did that today, he wouldn't be fired, I don't think. It was a different mm -hmm. world back then when they got sure. rid of Gary Moeller. Yeah, and, it was always uh, controversial. Right. And so Lloyd got to take over a situation where there wasn't as much pressure on him, whereas Moore is going to have a ton more pressure. But it's it's a similar situation where sure. the assistant is going to take over for the head coach. And Moeller was successful before they got before they got rid of him. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Going back to the Lions game, one last thing I wanted oh, to mention. Yeah. I saw some numbers. I have no idea if they're true or not. They said th there's they're estimating 18% of fans were going to be Lions fans. Now they've boosted it up to 22. That's what I was thinking all week. You know, like there's 0%. Maybe it's 1% of fans at Ford Field in the first two playoff games were cheering for the other team. Oh, Maybe yeah. a little bit higher. But are the Lions going to really have, you know, a fifth of the stadium, maybe a quarter pulling for them? I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I wouldn't be surprised either. But it's a playoff game. It's California though. California can They're be a little huge bit into their teams. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't California, I would say I, I would, I would think those numbers I'd call into question those numbers a little bit. I think the fact that it is California and you know, there's drama over them leaving um, yeah, San Francisco, for yeah, San, San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. That I wonder, um, and plus the San Fran's been there a lot. Right. And so like, it's not anything new. It's, it's kind of old hat for them. And, and so there's not as much, um, 
clamoring no. for this tea. Right, exactly. And you then know, you add in the fashion. fact that there's and then you add in the fact that there's a big bet line as well. And I think there's a lot of people that are um thinking, oh well, they'll just beat the Lions and then, you know, I don't know. A lot of Michiganders in California, a lot of expats, a lot of, a lot of people that may have grown up in California, but had expat parents that were Lions fans and they they inherited that. And that's not just California. That's all the way up and down the West coast. So I don't know. There, there will be a Lions contingent there for sure. And it would probably be bigger than there was a Buccaneers contingent (laughs) on Sunday. Yes. Uh, If it's a 20, if it's, at 20 percent, i'll be impressed um but i mean that'd be we'll fun. be able to hear them on the on tv if it's 20 percent. so I, I would i would think so that'd be an interesting development it's also easy to see when they do the pan of the crowd because honolulu especially on sunday honolulu blue is going to stand out in the in the sea of red that they'll have in that crowd yeah for sure so that's it you know eric the I don't think he could be much more excited. Same thing here. <laughs> and everybody listening, like this is this has been quite a ride and hopefully it keeps going. And that's all I've got. Do you have anything else? No, I'm ready to I'm ready for it to be here. I feel like every one of these playoff weeks, it's been like just it's been a drag that whole give, week. Let's just give get me, to the game. Well, there's so much drama, like it's so much unnecessary well, stuff, right? That you building just want a to, story. Like, yeah, I just want to get to it. I just want that for football. me and you. The game is enough, and there's plenty of people right. out there listening. It's like, yeah, I don't need any of this other stuff. I don't want to watch any pregame. Just, just put the start the game. <laughs> but every, but you know, it's a it's a big deal. These are the highest rated shows on television. They got it. There's sure. gonna be a lot of pomp and circumstance around each of these games. Well, there is, there is again. All right, that's it. You know, that's gonna be it for us this week. So hopefully, next time you hear from us. It'll be a, a celebratory and in great anticipation of the, the biggest game in Lions history. But until then, let's go Lions.